Amen. So I want to turn real quick to the Gospel of Luke chapter 1. I'm reading verses 5 through 17. And uh, as I read this, then we'll open up. I'm going to give my own welcome that I want to give. But I want to jump right into the word uh, to set the tone uh, for what we, what I pray and hope that we will experience this evening. So glad to be here. Uh, we send greetings from Mission House, as my wife did. Thank you, uh, Tony, for such a beautiful introduction and welcome of our, of our church. Uh, thank you for the hospitality of Pastor uh, Johnson and First Lady Johnson and the Antioch Church uh, Baptist Missionary Baptist Church family. We thank you and blessings to all and welcome to uh, to all our ministers and clergy here this evening. We thank God for you and all the rest of the community. We thank you uh, for being here in service this evening. We thank God for you. We we pray that you have a blessed uh, evening to, to today, and uh, we'll see uh, how this goes. Uh, Luke chapter 1, verses 5 through 17. Uh, in the time of Herod, King Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by Lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zacharias saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to, to you. And many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other ferment drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. Remember that. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord. And here it is in the spirit and power of Elijah. To turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And so uh, you may be seated. Thank God uh, for his word, God's word for God's people. And so, you know, the topic for tonight, if I was to title this sermon, it is to this. It is this. Go in the spirit and power of Elijah. Good evening, brothers and sisters. Here we are to those on Facebook Live. Hello. <laughs> been watching every night to keep up what's been happening the, uh, the previous nights. And so uh, we are all here at Antioch and uh, we are here to uh, hear the word of God. We thank God for the worship. Um, I first want to start off with a confession. Mm -hmm. Amen. You know, the Bible says confession is good for the soul. Yeah. Some people are like, oh, God, what is he about to say? This is the second time I've ever preached a revival. 
That is my confession. Now, mind you, I've been preaching for almost 25 years. You're like, how is that even possible? Well, here's the thing. So I became a Christian in Seattle, Washington. And see, if you ever lived in the Northwest, you know that Christian churches are actually the minority. Amen. So in the Bible Belt, we use the churches being on every corner. But up that way, it's literally like a post-Christian society. Most of the people up there are not Christian. They do not go to church. And so before I became a Christian, I didn't really go to church. When I was a, when I was a small child, my grandmother would take it. My parents weren't really church-going folk. Actually, they weren't even Christians. Matter of fact, before I became a Christian, many those who know me, uh, before I became a Christian, I was an atheist. I did not believe in God. Did not believe that God even existed. So you can imagine quite a few uh, years later while I was in the, in, the, in the back room of a storefront Pentecostal church that was, uh, uh, during the rest of the week, a volunteer firehouse. You can imagine the shock and horror of being surprised by the Holy Ghost. Earth shattering. But I became a Christian in a church that did not do revivals. We weren't a part of that kind of culture. We were part of that whole new wave of churches, you know, word of faith, uh, you know, the new, they call word churches, non-denominational churches, whatever. And so we were not a part of that kind of culture. And so I, I never really experienced that until I, I moved to Salisbury. We didn't do revivals. But I'm still learning about revivals, y'all. I, I understand the history. It's a powerful history. But ever since I was a little boy, I asked a lot of questions. My wife will tell you, and those that know me, I ask a lot of questions. And my first question is always, why? Why? How many of y'all got children or grandchildren that always ask, why? And every answer they give is a why. Uh. So I remember when I first moved there about eight years ago, and uh, and I tell I was telling a pastor the other day I moved to Salisbury because I found love, I found my wife, and I didn't come to Salisbury to do any of the things that we're doing right now. I didn't come to do anything like that. I came here because I had a, you know I had a decent job. Come here to marry my wife and you know enjoy my job and have you know have vacation twice a year and. And just enjoy my family. I didn't, didn't plan to do any of this. I didn't plan to pastor a church. Didn't plan to be a troublemaker. Didn't plan to do any of the stuff uh, that we do in the community now. I really didn't plan any of that. Right? And so when I became a part of this community, I noticed that, in the good friend of my Pastor Jones, I remember one time I asked him, I said, man, when is the revival schedule? I'm trying to understand. Because it seems like every other month, every church is having a revival. Like, is there like a calendar? <laughs> I don't mean, I'm not trying to be disrespectful. I'm going somewhere with this. Right? Because the thing is, I don't judge. I'm just curious. I'm trying to understand what this is all about. I am going to try to understand what this means. So I began my journey. And I remember telling my wife that she thought I was crazy. I said, I'm going to the library to understand why these churches do revival like every month. 
So I went to the Rowan County Library, studied the history of revival in the churches in the area, studied the history of the Baptist Fellowship here. That goes all the way back to Reverend Cowan, and I was intrigued by that history to, with the Presbyterians and the AME folks, and, and I was intrigued by that in, in the revival culture. And so it's a fascinating history. There's a whole section in the library. Did y'all know this? There's a whole section in Rowan Library of Black Church in this area. Did y'all know that? It's like upstairs. There's like three or four shells of black church history. Did y'all know that? That's uh, all right. That's all right. It's still there. You ought to take a field trip to read up on these things. But can I share with you what I learned? So in my research, I discovered a lot about revival. And here are a few definitions. It is an improvement in the condition or strength of something. You about to come on. Come on. I'm going somewhere tonight. Come on. Yeah, come on. Come on. It is an improvement in the condition or strength of something. Mm -hmm. yes. mm -hmm. so, so when a revival hits some place, somewhere, some people, guess what? There is an improvement in the condition and strength of those people. It is an instance of something becoming important again. Uh, My God. It is an instance when something becomes important again. What if God became important again? What if Jesus became important again? What if the Holy Spirit became important again? What if transformation of our communities became important again? What if the binding together of our community became important again? Revival is a new production of an old play. Or a similar work. Okay, away from the academic definitions. Let's just talk about let's see what the preachers say. There's a theologian named J.I. Packer. He said, Revival is God's quickening visitation of his people, touching their hearts and deepening his work of grace in their lives. It is God's quickening visitation of his people. That means when God shows up, and that's another thing I want to say this evening, the thing about revival, revival is not strong-arming God to show up in this place. Revival is when you recognize that God is already up in here. See, what really is a visitation is really about recognition. It is recognizing that God is already in this place like Jacob. Jacob said when he wrestled God all night, he said, I wrestled God. I didn't realize God was even here. He was here the whole time. And I didn't even know it. That's what should happen at the revival. At the revival, we walk out and we say, man, God was here the whole time. And we didn't even know it. Mm, one more. Or a couple more. J. Edwin Orr, he's, you know, repeating Acts 3.19, times are refreshing from the presence of the Lord. This is revival, times are refreshing, yes. We're familiar with that. Robert Coleman says this, it is the awakening or quickening of God's people to their true nature and purpose. Mm -hmm. My God. 
Let me say it again. So the, the awakening or quickening of God's people to their true nature and purpose. Amen. So here's the thing about revival. Do you know what the goal of revival is? Come on now. It, it's more than just getting happy in the Lord. It's more than just having a great experience. And we need those sometimes to be reminded that God is here. Don't get me wrong here. But the goal of revival is an awakening. For my young folk, it's to get woke in God. Richard Owen Roberts, revival is an extraordinary movement of the Holy Spirit producing extraordinary results. It is an extraordinary movement of the Holy Spirit producing extraordinary results. Uh, Duncan Campbell says that it is uh, when a community becomes saturated with God. It is the work of the Holy Spirit in restoring the people of God to a more vital spiritual life witness and work by prayer and the word after repentance in crisis mm. for their spiritual decline Earl Cairns mm. whatever revival is it seems to be when God possesses his people by the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus to be refreshed in their relationship with God and in their mission in the kingdom of God in their own community what does it look like to be possessed by God? This evening, we're going to talk about a person that was possessed by God. His name was Elijah, or is Elijah, amen, because we don't know what happened there, bro. You got snatched up into the sky, right? First, a word about prophets. I want to put this out here a little bit. Prophets, amen. Prophets, that original word for prophet, because Elijah was a prophet. And what are prophets? Prophets are people or a community of people that are possessed by God. See, see, we're, see, the role of prophets in the body of Christ is to activate the prophetic in the people. Y'all remember when, I, when Moses said, when he was caught up with the people, there was some conflict, whatever. And Moses said, I pray that I wish that all God's peoples were prophets. The original word for prophet is to be a mouthpiece for God. Right? This is a standard definition. You've heard this before. But I want to talk about the root word. It may be a little controversial. Uh, uh, the root word buried in the word prophet means to bubble up. It also means to be drunk. For my sophisticated folk <laughs> to be intoxicated. <laughs> I know we're in church. This is what happens when you do the kind of ministry that we do. I know we're in church, but have you ever seen a drunk person before? Amen. Right? Like some of y'all say, yeah, I saw the other person the other day in the church. I was watching what they were doing. Let me put it this way. Have you ever seen a drunk person before? They seem to lose control of themselves. You will notice this. They seem to be controlled by the substance in their bodies. They talk different. They act different. They reason differently. Sometimes being drunk can bring out the worst in a person. Physical, emotional blues. Another power seems to control their minds and their bodies. But prophets 
intoxicated with God. They are people who have been overtaken by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit gets them so good that they can only speak what God speaks. They can only do what God wants them to do. Their hearts are caught up in the very heart of God. They begin to share the same passion of the Lord. That's heavy. They begin to share the same passion as the Lord. Can you imagine sharing the same passion as God? Can you imagine? Now, you know, we got theologians in the house. We know we can't share God's passion completely because it will blow our minds. Because God is that big. Because God is too busy sustaining and controlling and maintaining the entire universe. Right? We can't even contain that. We can't even think about what that even looks like. We don't even have words to even describe. Theologians have been scratching their heads and, and beating each other up, arguing for generations. How in the world does God do all that, right? But so the only thing that you can do is get a taste of God's passion. And that is enough. Remember when Moses was in the cleft of the rock? God said, I'll let you. I can't pass by and look at you because it'll kill you. Matter of fact, you will cease to exist because my presence is that powerful because you got to understand that my presence maintains the very molecular structure that holds your whole existence together. So if I even look at you, you will just dissipate. You will turn to nothing. So guys, I give my backside. But what does it look like? Can you imagine how passionate God is about things? Young people, I need you to understand, young people here, the young people that are here, and even some of the the elders in the house this evening, some of the uh, younger, older people like myself who are in the house, you need to understand that God is very passionate about you. But what is God passionate about? Do you know? Look at your prophets. Look at the prophets in scripture. Sometimes they are the clue to what God is passionate about. When the Holy Ghost gets a hold of you, your life begins to be caught up in the movement of another power. Just like the drunken person who's drunken off of spirits or alcohol. When you get intoxicated by God, you are driven. You are moved. Your your life begins to be shaped by a power that's greater than yourself. In our text this evening, we are taken to a scene in the New Testament book of Luke, the gospel of Luke. The scene is of an elder priest advanced in age, Zechariah, being given a promise by the angel Gabriel that he will have a son, John, who y'all all know as John the Baptist. That John is going to prepare the way for Jesus to show up, right? He's coming to prepare the way of the Lord. But I don't know how you read scripture, but when I read scripture, I typically wait for a book to come to mind to read or a passage or a verse. And as I was preparing to speak to you this evening, I was waiting for a Bible passage to come to mind to study this week. Luke 1 came to mind, so I began to read. One of the things I, we talk about at our own church and Mission House is that when you read the Bible, read a book or a passage until something grabs you. People come to me all the time and say, Pastor, what do I read? Just start reading. All right. yes. Until something grabs your attention. Yes. Yes. Hmm. Well, I read. <laughs> and Luke 1 grabbed me. Mm. But it was this verse in particular that grabbed me. 
and you will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. He, John, will go in the spirit and power of Elijah. Those words stood out to me, the spirit and power of Elijah. This is what this is what grabbed my attention. These words came to me. There are seasons in the body of Christ that the Holy Spirit will send us in the spirit and power of Elijah in our own community. What does this mean? What does it mean to go in the spirit and power of Elijah? I don't have time to get into the Hebrew and Greek this evening. These words mean spirit and power. Also mean movement and ability. Spirit and power means movement and ability. Turn your neighbor and say movement and ability. Spirit is that which animates or moves us. Spirit is that which animates or moves us. Ability is that which we can do. So when we talk about the spirit and power of Elijah, we're talking about being a people that go in a similar movement and ability as Elijah. What does that mean? That's what what the angel Gabriel was telling Zechariah. He said, your son is going to move and have the ability just like Elijah did. So church, some of us are in a season to move and have the ability of Elijah. But you may be asking, who's Elijah? Just one of the great prophets of the Bible whose name means Yahweh is God. Amen. The first time we get an introduction of him, it is bold and direct. First Kings 17, 1 through 7, 17, 1 says, Now Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead, he was, he was a country preacher, said to Ahab, the king, and this is important, this is intriguing. Here is a, a prophet that seems to come out of nowhere, literally nowhere. We don't even know his, his family of origin. Oftentimes in scripture, they will give important people where they come from, who their people is, who their mama and daddy and them is. We don't know that about Elijah. All we know is he comes from Tishba. And that somehow, some way, this small little country preacher is standing before the king of Israel. Don't tell us how he got there or nothing like that. No background on nothing. And here's what Elijah, Elijah says to the king Ahab. As the Lord, the God of Israel lives whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except in my word. We're talking about the spirit and power of Elijah. Then the word of the Lord came uh, to Elijah, leave here, turn eastward and hide in the Sharif ravine, uh, which the word Sharif, the brook of Sharif in First uh, uh, Kings, Second uh, Kings seventeen. Uh, uh, when he says, First uh, Kings seventeen, uh, when he says the brook Sharif or the Sharif ravine, the word Sharif, if you're there in the passage, it literally means the place of separation. East of the Jordan, you will drink from the brook and I have directed the ravens to supply you with food there. So he did what the Lord had told him. He went to the Sharif ravine, the brook Sharif, east of the Jordan, stayed there. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening. And he drank from the brook. Sometime later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Mm, So when Elijah is introduced... He is standing before the wicked king of Israel named Ahab. Uh-huh. Now, y'all got to understand, if you, if you read your Bibles, all y'all go to Sunday school. 
Ahab at the time was considered the wickedest king in the history of Israel. He told Ahab that it would not rain in Israel for three more years. There had already been a, thought, a drought for six months. This was punishment by God because of the wickedness of Ahab and Queen Jezebel. How many do y'all know that the, 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 the circumstances and the conditions of our community can be the result of evil policies by leaders that are supposedly above us, that we supposedly don't elect, but they get elected anyway? Suppose I t- what, what if I told you that there are circumstances and conditions of poverty and violence and everything in people's community as a result of policy? decided by people who think they're more powerful than you are. They're going somewhere. The drought was because of the king and his policies. Let the reader understand. Immediately, immediately after telling Ahab the fate of the nation he goes and runs to the brook Sharif. But I want you to notice something. Elijah isn't trying to curry favor with Ahab. Okay, I'm about to get in trouble. He's not trying to be best buds with Ahab. He, notice Elijah ain't trying to sell his soul and his people out for a seat at the table. He boldly tells the wicked king a truthful word. Sometimes in church, we don't understand. Sometimes God gives People and churches to stand against power in a community. Yeah. And it's not because we're trying to be indifferent. It's not because we're trying to make trouble. It's because God done put something in us and we see something because God sees it. God says, I'm tired away. I'm tired of treating my people. I'm tired of this, this, this ignore and disquiet our people. Marginalize our people. Elijah ran to the brook. To the place of separation where God had directed him. See, this was a place God used to teach Elijah how to trust him. Sometimes God got to separate you. Young folks, sometimes God got to separate you, right? You got to put you in a place of separation where you can learn how to trust God and learn how to be with God. That's one of the things that is missing in church sometimes. We don't even know how to be with God in silence with no words. Sometimes the best things you get from God when there are no words said. Silence. God fed Elijah from the brook and through birds. Because of the drought, the brook because of the drought, the brook dried up. One of the things I learned is to be in the spirit and power of Elijah, you gotta be a people that feel the pain of the people. Yes, all right. Yes, yes. See, Elijah felt the drought like everybody else did. Mm. See, church. We gotta, if we're going to step out into the spirit and power of Elijah, mm. we got to be a church to feel the pain of the people. Yes. Not judge the community, not be indifferent to the community, but feel the pain of the community. Yes. Feel the yes. empathy of the community. Yes. I remember some time ago, I tell this story a hundred times in that church. I had to speak to a group of community members and, and they were talking about some of the older folks who just bemoaning the fact that these young folks walking around with their pants sagging and, and all this. And this one young older gentleman, he's like, hey, Pastor, what you going to do about these young people with their pants sagging? We got to do something about that. That's the problem today. These young people don't have to pull their pants up. And I was like, oh, okay. I listened to him going on and on and on. And I was like, well, what's his name? Come on. Come on. 
What do you mean, what's his name? I said, do you know his name? Do you know his story? Church, you can't preach to a community whose story you don't know. You can't speak to a community whose pain you don't know. You can't minister to a community whose pain you don't know. The Bible says, Jesus looked down upon Jerusalem, and the Bible says the two, well, the shortest verse in the Bible, so I was told in Bible study one time, is that Jesus wept. He wept because he had compassion for Jerusalem. Compassion means to feel the pain of another. To share the pain of another. So we got to go to the place of separation where we learn how to trust God and feel the pain of others in our community. Then the next, verse 8, we're going through Elijah here, talking about walking in the spirit and power of Elijah. Then the word of the Lord came to him again. Go at once to Zarephath. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's going to mess some of y'all up. I hope, hope it problematizes you. I hope it disturbs you when I get done with this part here. Uh, the place of refinement and testing in the region of Sudan and stay there, God said. I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. So he went to Zarephath. When he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called her and asked, would you bring me a little jar and a, a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? And as she was going to get it, he called and bring me, please, a piece of bread. And as surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. Y'all know the rest of the story, right? She go in, she made some biscuits. Yeah. Because she says, well, prophet, I'm going to make these biscuits for you and me and my son, and we all going to die. Because he's in a land where the powerful are getting rich and the poor are getting poor. They have very little to live on. Like a lot of people. I work in Social Security. I can't tell how many people, like el- our elders in the community, say pa- they come up to my window and say, Pastor Smith, do I, do I, what do I do today? Do I choose medicine or food? Because that donut hole. I know what I'm talking about if you're on Medicare. Mm. Mm. Amen. King said, if you don't preach the gospel and deal with the material conditions of your people, you are not preaching the gospel. Come on. Mm. Oh, Lord, God, into me tonight. (laughs) Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said. But first make a small loaf of bread. She goes and makes the biscuit, whatever. So she went away and it did as Elijah told her, verse 15. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. And for the jar of flour was not used up and the jug of oil did not run dry. In keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. Verse 17. Sometime later, the son of the woman who owned the house became ill. He grew worse and worse and finally stopped breathing. She said to Elijah, what do you have against me, man of God? Did you come to remind me of my sin, my sin and kill my son? Give me your son, Elijah said. Give us your youth. He took him from her arms carried him to the upper room where he was staying and laid him on his bed. Then he cried out to the Lord, Lord, my God, have you brought tragedy even on this widow I'm staying with by causing her son to die? Then he stretched himself out on the boy three times. Mm -hmm. That's persistence. 
That's commitment. That's say, I'm staying with this. I'm staying with this dead body until it raises up. That's what Elijah's commitment is. That's what it means to go in the spirit and power in Elijah. You stay with the dead body. You stay stretched out with deadness until it rises up. And cried out to the Lord, Lord, my God, let this boy's life return to him. The Lord heard Elijah's cry and the boy's life returned to him and he lived. Elijah picked up the child and carried him down through to the room into the house. He gave him to his mama and said, look, your son is alive. Amen. Man, I wish we could tell that story over the past several years. But there's a lot of mamas in this community that we can't tell this to. We should never forget that. Then a woman said to Elijah, now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord from your mouth is the truth. But here's the thing, y'all, here's the thing that we often miss when we preach this sometimes, you know, God bless my, uh, my, my spiritual birthright. But we turn this into a bless me kind of passage and as if if you give a whole bunch of money to the prophet, then you get a, a powerball heavenly return. That's not the purpose of this passage. That's not what God is saying here. The God then told Elijah to go to Zarephath. Here's the thing you need to know. Zarephath was a pagan territory. The widow was not an Israelite. She was an unbeliever. She worshiped other gods. Did y'all know this? She wasn't a church person trying to get a blessing from the prophet. She was an unbeliever who met the spirit and power in Elijah. She met a compassionate human being who was going her way. In the midst of a famine, God will bring a word of abundance. Mm. Even when a community is unjust, mm. God has a way to bring a word of abundance. Her son fell ill and died. She thought Elijah had brought a curse upon her household. Uh, this woman, again, is not an Israelite. She's a pagan. She doesn't even serve the same God as Elijah. Neither does her son. But notice what Elijah does with his pagan mother and her pagan son. Elijah carried the boy to his bed, prayed over him, yet he still trusted God. What if the church was willing to lay his body on the line? Stretch his body out for the community, for the youth. No matter if they go to church or not. No matter if they look like good church kids or not. No matter if they look the part or not. Is the church willing to go to the streets of our community and lay his body on the line for our youth? The widow's son is dead. Mm. Elijah touches his dead body. This is significant for all my, th- my scholars and theologians in the house. Why is it significant that Israel, that Elijah laid down and stretched his whole body out, his whole body out on a dead corpse? Why is that significant? Because in ancient Israel, an Israelite was not supposed to touch a dead body, especially the body of a dead pagan. Yes, yes. Because they were seen as unclean. To touch a dead body was to become unclean. Mm. Get this. Elijah risked. Elijah risked becoming unclean by laying his body on the line for someone in this community. 
church ready to be unclean? Mm. Are you ready to be unclean? Mm. Are you ready, really ready to go into the spirit and power of Elijah? If the church is going to move in the spirit and power of Elijah, it's going to have to stretch out its body on the ones the powers of this community do not care about. Those in the margins, the forgotten places of our community, the ones we cleanse our conscience with charity, thinking we've done some of this because we gave some toys and some turkeys and some school supplies. We think we're good when we have not even addressed the very reason why we got to have back the school supplies. Nothing is back to school giveaway. We got to do it. We got to take care of our people. I understand it. We got to have back to school giveaways. But we got to have the prophetic word that says, why we got to keep having these? Come on, yes. Come on. Come on sir. Elijah laid his body down. But charity ain't justice, y'all. It's like putting a band-aid on an artery. It's been ruptured. If I can, if I can get prophetic in this larger community in Rowan, the church loves talking about charity. But there's a word coming now. God is saying, I want justice. I want things to be made right. I want you to look at your policies. I want you to look at how your systems, your institutions run, your police, your county commissioner, your city councils, all that. I want to look at all that and say, all y'all who want to argue about whether or not you can pray in Jesus' name, I want you to act like Jesus in your policies. Folk on fire committed to to take this stuff all the Supreme Court to pray in Jesus' name, but the question is, do your policy look like Jesus? Yo, for like what? <laughs> hmm. To get out of the four walls, to lay his body on the line, even for the so-called unclean, even for the so-called unbelievers, even for the poor. God will send us to the place of testing to see what we're really about. And so, the last part here. Uh, 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 minutes here. I'm going to pass my time. I don't know. Uh, so <laughs> uh, then, and then God directs uh, 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 Elijah to the most famous story that y'all know about. And we're going to end here. We might get a little trouble here. Tony, start the car. Get ready. Here we go. <laughs> after a long time, First Kings 18, after a long time in the third year, the word of the Lord came to Elijah, go and present yourself to Ahab and I will send rain on the land. So Elijah went to present himself to Ahab again. Now the famine was severe in Samaria. Ahab summoned Obadiah's palace administrator. Obadiah was a devout believer in the Lord, while Jezebel was killing off the Lord's prophets. One of the things I notice sometimes in church culture, we, we make Jezebel like this, this, this seductress of the preacher. You know what I'm talking about? You know, I come from Pentecostal, so maybe I'll, most of y'all probably Baptist, you probably don't do that here. <laughs> But Jezebel was actually a unstable evil genius. I'm going to give her some credit. She, she was a political ruler. She was a strategist. She was a military genius. Sometimes we got to challenge the patriarchy. 
Even when we got to give our hero, uh, uh, the, the bad guys some justice. Uh-huh. And so he did that. And so, and so Obadiah had taken a hundred prophets and hidden them in two caves. Fifty and eight. So he hid off the prophets and supplied them with food and water. Ahab had said to Obadiah, go through the land and to all the springs and valleys. Maybe we can find some grass to keep the horses and mules alive so we can we will not have to kill any of our animals. And so they divided the land they were to cover Ahab going in one direction and Obadiah in another. As Obadiah was walking along, Elijah met him. Obadiah recognized him, bowed down to the ground and said, is it really you, my Lord, Elijah? Yes, he replied. Go tell your master, Elijah is here. What have I done wrong, asked Obadiah, that you are handing your servant over to Ahab to be put to death? As surely as the Lord your God lives, there is not a nation or kingdom where my master has not sent someone to look for you. One of the things about the prophetic, when the church decides to step into the power and spirit of Elijah, you will make those in power very fearful of you. They will concoct all kind of lies. They will try to assassinate your character. Even in some cases, they will try to change laws, create wars in other places and all kind of stuff. They try to subject any kind of criticism of their policy. Uh Let the reader understand. Uh Elijah is here. I don't know where the spirit of the Lord is. Verse 11. I don't know where the spirit of the Lord may carry you when I leave you. If I go and tell Ahab and he doesn't find you and he kill me. Yet I, your servant, have worshipped the Lord since my youth. Haven't you heard, my Lord, what I did while Jezebel was killing the prophets of the Lord? You got to ask somebody on the inside sometimes, right? Amen. I hid a hundred of the Lord's prophets in two caves and fifty in each and supplied them with food and water. And so this is one of Ahab's, the wicked king's closest advisors. He realized how wicked he was. You know, how some folks who are advisors to our current administration, they got to do stuff on the low so he can't see them. You go to my, go to your, go, you go and tell master and say, Elijah is here. He will kill me. Elijah said, as the Lord, my God lives, whom I serve, I will surely present myself to Ahab today. He said, you ain't got a word over that. Right. Mm-hmm. I ain't going nowhere. Yeah. Why? Because he's intoxicated with God. Mm-hmm. He's only doing what God told him to do. So Abadiah went to meet Ahab and told him and Ahab went to meet Elijah. When he saw Elijah, he said to him, is that you? You troubler of Israel. You troublemaker. You divisive person. You strife bringer. You causing division in the land by bringing up difficult truths about what's happened here. It's like today when our own mayor, the first black sister to ever be mayor of, our, of Salisbury, bringing up the history so our, our city can heal. You got those saying that she's being divisive, that she's going against, she's trying to cause a strife and tension in the community, but all she's trying to do is bring a prophetic word to this community to say, you ain't really dealt with your past yet. Amen. Y'all ain't getting with me. Y'all must not be from Salisbury. <laughs> You have not made trouble for Israel, Elijah replied. I have not made trouble for Israel, Elijah replied. But you and your father's family have. I love this country preacher. He got backbone, y'all. He got Holy Ghost backbone. He told the, the wicked king who's got armies under his command, who has alliances with other powerful nations. He's standing in his presence at his table, not telling him, man, you the best king our people ever had. No, he said this. He said, you fault. Let the reader understand. 
You have abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed the boss. Now summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel. Carmel means the garden. And bring the 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab went, sent word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. What is this, y'all? See, see, y'all been told that these are all prophets who are pagan prophets who are unbelieving prophets. These were prophets from Israel. See, all prophets ain't God's prophets. He said he brought them from where? Israel. Elijah went before the people and said, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. Then Elijah said to them, I am the only one. Of the Lord's prophets left, but Baal has 450 prophets. Go to get two bulls for us. So Baal's prophets choose one, and y'all know the rest of the story. They do all that, and they go through their rituals and their chants. And the Almighty Baal bring forth the fire to the altar, and nothing happens, right? And 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 uh, then Elijah says to the prophets, "I can imagine him. This I had this imagery here of Stephen Colbert." What's up? <laughs> or Dave Chappelle. I'm sorry, I'm in church. Or your favorite Christian comedian, whoever that is. Say, what's up? What a fire. At 20. And the prophets begin to shout louder. Bell, answer us. They shouted, but there was no response. No one answered. And they danced around the altar they had made. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. He began to get comedic with them. He becomes a, sat a satirist. He says, shout louder. Maybe he's asleep. Surely he is a god. Perhaps he is deep in thought or busy or traveling. Maybe he is sleeping and must be awakened. So they shouted louder and slashed themselves with swords and spears, as was their custom, until their blood flowed. Midday passed, and they continued their frantic prophesying mm, until the time for the evening sacrifice. But there was no response. No one answered, and no one paid attention. Then Elijah said to the people, watch this. They came to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord which they had been torn down for all that stuff they were doing. It was their altar to an idol. Elijah took 12 stones, the tribes of Israel, to whom the word of the Lord came, saying, your name shall be Israel. Verse 32, he's trying to reunify the nation against a wicked king. With the stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord. And he dug a trench around it large enough to hold two seas of seed. He arranged the wood, cut the bull into pieces and laid it on the wood. Then he said to them, fill four large jars with water and pour it on the offering and on the wood. Do it again, he said. And they did it again. They poured a whole bunch of water, gallons of water on this altar. He said, I'm making a point. Do it a third time, he ordered. 
And they did it to the third time. The water ran down around the altar and even filled the trench. At the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are the God of Israel. You are the God in Israel and that I am your servant. I have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord. Answer me so that these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. When all the people saw it as they fell prostrate and cried, the Lord is God, the Lord is God. Then Elijah commanded them, seize the prophets of Baal. Don't let anyone get away. It's too graphic what happens next. The first hang on to that. We got, we got the babies here. I'm giving a pastoral advisory. <laughs> Verse 41. And Elijah said to Ahab, go eat and drink, for there is a sound of heavy rain. Mm. Mm. So Ahab went off to eat and drink. But Elijah climbed to the top of Carmel, bent down to the ground and put his face between his knees. Mm. Go and look toward the sea, he told his servant. And he went up and he looked. There is nothing there, he said. Seven times Elijah said, go back. The seventh time the servant reported a cloud as small as a man's hand is rising from the sea. So Elijah said, go and tell Ahab, hitch up your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. Meanwhile, the sky grew black with clouds and wind and rose. A heavy rain started falling and Ahab rode off to Jezreel. The power of the Lord came on Elijah and tucking his cloak into his belt, he ran ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel. Thought after the three and a half years of drought were complete, God told Elijah to, to return to Ahab. The king had already gone in search of water for the nation. Elijah met Obadiah and was also in search of water by the king's command. So here it is. Elijah now, after all the confrontation, Elijah, after God shows up, God sends rain. Mm. Yes. When they put everybody in their place, God sends rain. I'm finishing here. See, when you go in the spirit and power of Elijah, see, there's the Jesus. There's the Jesus. Tony, start the car. <laughs> there's the Jesus that will be revealed. There's a Jesus of your slave masters. Mm. Come on, come on. Yes, come on. And there's a Jesus of the God of Israel. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Mm. Let the hearer understand. Uh -huh. mm. When we go to the garden, when we go to the place of the garden, when we go to the place where God is causing us to, to decide which opinion we're going to believe, what who are we going to, whose side we're going to stand on? Are we going to side the God of the oppressed, the God who stands in solidarity, the same God, the same Jesus said, whatever you've done to the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you have done unto me. Or are we, or, or do we love the God of the powerful? Do we love the God of those who try to just get God back on the money, trying to get God prayer back in school? And I'm always confused about that because how can you take God out of anywhere? You can't take God out of a school. We ain't that powerful. Amen. Come on. Mm. Mm. Yes. 
What God will you serve? The God is everywhere. The God that is present, powerfully present in the pain of my people, of our people. The God is powerfully present in the tragedy of places, the places of loneliness, the place of injustice. God is present everywhere. Yeah. Even King Ahab couldn't get rid of him. Spirit and power of Elijah. We'll end with this. When we talk about the spirit and power of Elijah, we are talking about a people available to God. I tell our community this all the time. People who are available to God can do the impossible. People who are available to God can do the impossible. When Elijah called down fire upon the altar, what was once idols became an altar to God. When the church moves in the spirit of power of Elijah, it brings the fruit of his prayers. Fire. Our prayers cultivate fire, the transforming presence of God. How do, how, how do we, when the church brings fire, how do we know when the church brings fire in the community? How do we know when the church is moving in the spirit and power of Elijah? Idols get transformed into altars. The powers get shaken. Kings get challenged. Fire changes things. Ordinary people. Ordinary people who live everyday lives in the midst of personal community challenges. The writer says in James 5, 17, 18, he says it this way. Elijah was just like us. <laughs> he prayed hard that it wouldn't rain. And it didn't rain on the land for three and a half years. He then prayed again. That time it rained and the earth produced its crops. Father, in the name of Jesus, God, we lift up your people today, God. God, I know this was a different kind of word, God, but we know that some of us are in a season where we are called to become, uh, to be sent to go in the spirit and power of Elijah. God, may we be a people, God, that feel the pain of our community, God. May we be a people to amplify the voices of those who don't use their voice in the presence of the powerful. May God, may we be a people that stand up against injustice, against the encroaching racism that's bubbling up in our own community, God. God, may we go in the spirit and bold power of Elijah, God. And more importantly, God, may we be filled with your Holy Spirit, God. God, may we be a people, oh God, that be the hands and feet of Jesus in this community, God. Revive us, God. Stir in our hearts, God, our minds, our hearts, our bodies, God. To, be, uh, to have a sense, to have a motivation, to have a commitment, to stretch forth our bodies on the line. And God, when it's all said and done, even the community would say the Lord is God. The God of those people is the God, is the Lord God. Jesus truly is Lord. God, we thank you right now. In Jesus' name, amen, amen.
give thanks unto God for His Word. Full disclosure, amen, when I was praying about the revival and Lord, the speakers that come my way. And as He gave the definition about what revival is, the same definition. 